Welcome to the Life I Lead podcast. I'm Nicholas, your host and founder of Eagle Transformational Coaching. This is a podcast dedicated to the enhancement and awareness of effective leadership in our modern times. We will interview and chat with some amazing leaders who inspire and influence those they work and live with. As a transformational coach in leadership, I want to motivate you and transform your understanding of your ability to be a leader, not just in your career, but in your life as a whole. Well, welcome to another edition of the Life I Lead podcast. I'm Nicholas, your host and founder of Eagle Transformational Coaching. I hope last week gave you a little insight into my reflections on from goodness to greatness. Uh, I've had lots of great feedback and saying it was helpful. This week, we have uh, a guest joining us from Austin in Texas, Brian Bernardino. And Brian is a mindful masculinity mentor. He's an incredible chap. I met him uh, a few weeks ago virtually, and we've been in contact and discussion. Brian is a men's personal development coach, and he helps men rediscover their, rediscover, rediscover, I'm going to say that three times, rediscover their masculine purpose, their power and passion. Brian helps guys overcome fears and obstacles, establish confidence and form meaningful relationships by recognizing their struggles in today's world. His coaching technique blends Eastern concepts and wisdom traditions with modern psychology. Uh, men learn to be calm, handle life problems, get clarity of intention, act authentically and build congruence in their relationships. You know, we've had a couple of great discussions in the green one. And one of the things I was really passionate about communicating, uh, and Brian agreed, is that this subject about masculinity is completely invalid without the understanding of the impact that masculinity has on femininity and the impact and validity that femininity has on masculinity. Let me assure you when you're listening to this podcast, this is not about how to be a man's man. This is not about how to be a camp man. This is not about how to be a feminine man. This is about how to be a masculine man. And Brian's going to unpack that and the awful trappings we have about the stereotypical understanding of masculinity. So if you're one of our amazing lady listeners and uh, followers of this podcast, this conversation is really affirming for you and really challenging for you as much as it is affirming and challenging for the male people in your world. I think it's a, an amazing subject, an unfathomable subject, and uh, I really hope you enjoy this great chat that I had with Brian. So without further ado, let's bring Brian to the microphone. Firstly, Brian, you're in Austin, Texas, you're 7 a.m., and we're in UK, so we've just gone one o'clock in the afternoon. So thank you for sacrificing a couple of hours sleep to join us on the Life I Lead podcast. I've said a little bit about yeah. you in the bio, but uh, why don't you briefly tell us a bit about what you do with men in the modern age? Sure. I am a men's coach. Uh, I'm also a mindfulness coach. So I combine the two of those to do deep inner work coaching with men, primarily with uh, middle-aged men like myself, where I empower them to live more fulfilling, purposeful lives by elevating their mindset, their confidence, and their relationships. And I love the way you use elevating. Give us a sense of 
how you feel there is a, a need for the mind of a middle a, a middle aged chap. What is he elevating from and to? Mm, great question. I think middle aged men, especially, we you know we buy into the fact that we as men are providers, and so we spend a lot of our lives building life around that, where we go after getting the the house and the car and the good job and building the family and raising children, and we're we kind of have this thought that once I do all of that, I'll be fulfilled and, and, and things will be wonderful. And a lot of times we get to midlife and we've done that. We've, we've, either, we've either done that, we've, we've gotten the car, we've gotten the job, we've gotten the, the kids and, and the, the great family. And we don't necessarily feel fulfilled. We're like, okay, I've gotten this, but now I don't feel the way that I thought. What, what exactly do I need to do from here? Or, or what, what's missing out of my life? Or We've either gotten that or we've not gotten that and said, you know, I've still tried to get all that. I haven't done all that. I'm here at my midlife. That's not what fulfills me or I'm not going down that path. What is it? That I really, um, how is it that I can live a fulfilling life? Those are questions that a lot of times we ask. And that's what I ask myself through my own transformation. So when we talk about elevating that mindset, it's really thinking about the world in a different way and thinking about myself as being being beyond just the protector and the provider, but how can I actually contribute to humanity? How can I actually live out a purpose that serves others and thereby ultimately serves myself? Mm. And where, in what way can I leave a legacy beyond the house, the car, the wife, the kids, that sort of thing? That's that's a lot of what I talk about. It's really interesting, isn't it? And do you think that this has this issue has become, I consider myself, you might be able to tell me whether I am or not, I consider myself a middle-aged man. I'm I'm 47, just turned 47. Mm-hmm. I consider that fairly middle-aged. There are two things I want to ask you. Is this um has this issue become more prevalent in the last uh 2 years since pandemic? Has it become prevalent in the last 5 6 years due to things like me too? Um has it become prevalent in the things of salary equality between men and women or is it an age-old problem that we have historically and continue to imprint on people a traditional concept of achievement and fulfillment that actually we find when we hit middle age that that was a load of bullshit. Yeah, that's a great question. And I, you know, I'm speaking from the perspective of an American, right? Where we have this American dream where we're, you know, really sold this capitalized capitalist ideal of of going out and and building this life and and contributing as a good consumer and doing all of this and through that our life is going to be fulfilled. And I think within the last couple of decades, really, we've started to realize that that's not that's not what all we were promised at all. What we what it cracked to be. Um, I think it really started. Um, probably heavily in the 80s, 1980s, where the baby boomers were coming into becoming the yuppies and Mm. uh, really driving a lot of the workforce and just not really seeing that things were what they wanted them to be. You had the confluence of the women's liberation movement that started in the, you know, in the 60s and, and people kind of coming of age and lots of people getting their own agency around that, that I think that People started to realize that 
this traditional style and this traditional way of thinking of well, what fulfillment is and what a great life is no longer really held uh, a lot of value. Mm-hmm. And I think your question about has it become more prevalent since the pandemic or since the Me Too, I think we've all, those events have become catalysts for making us more aware of this and making us more aware that perhaps a change is needed and making us more aware really that that change is really needed within us. Um, you see the evolution of especially masculinity throughout the last century where you have, uh, if you're ever familiar with the work of David Data, yeah, um, who talks about these three stages of masculinity, where the first stage is the 1950s uh uh, husband, right? Where it's very dominant. It's very, I'm a traditional, you know, the traditional masculine role is a very domineering and setting the way of how things are going to work and setting the rules and the taskmaster and all of that. And then you have over in the sixties, when things started to evolve a little bit more, we kind of went the other way. We went to the nice guy. We went to the people pleasing person, the, the Marvin Milktoast kind of guy where we wanted to more express our emotions. We wanted to try to please other people and and blend in with that. But it really went the other way. And we lost a lot of the what good parts there were of that first stage. Um, we lost a lot of that and and watered it down with a lot of what happened in the 60s. And so in the 70s, more of that started to happen, but we started to find our way. And so now we kind of find ourselves in this third stage where Let's find this healthy masculinity that we feel like is inside of us that is not at the expense of others. It's not at the expense of the feminine being in her full expression or having all of the equal rights and uh, equal opportunities and and any of that. In fact, it's all elevating all of this together. And so Mm -hmm. I think that things like the pandemic, things like Me Too have really become a very important catalyst for bringing this to awareness and enabling us to find that it's time to take action on this and and really grow into our third stage of of masculine which is that that healthy that very mindful that very conscious but also very strong uh stage of of masculinity really interesting isn't it because i think when uh, you know when people look at this podcast coming out uh, when it comes out and and one of the odious tasks of being a podcast host is what to call each episode. And I've been looking at this and I'm I'm really excited about this conversation, but it's very hard to encompass what we talk about and that realistic and tangible effect that the way men are in generations and how we identify masculinity affects the relationships we hold with women, with, with females, with our wives, with, with our colleagues, you know, for men being led by women, for men surrounded by powerful women, female influences, you know, this identity of masculinity is is so important in the relationship with our female sphere, isn't it? It, it very much is. And, and, and I think it's also important to uh, define specifically what I'm talking about when I say masculinity and femininity. And um, because a lot of times that really gets... Uh, it very, very much gets conflated and, and very much confused around what people are talking about. When I talk about it, I talk about it not as uh, not as biological, 
which is your sex, right? Male and female. So that's one thing. Gender is another thing. So gender is more about how that person identifies with the world. Yeah. What specifically I'm talking about are more of these psychological qualities that we have within us that is part of our uh, our authentic self and our authentic nature that defines really how we identify, how we show up and how we move through the world. And uh, you'll hear a lot of this referred to as divine masculinity or masculine and feminine energies. Yet it also has its roots in Jungian psychology. In Carl Jung's model of the self and the psyche, uh, there is a space there for the animus and the anime, which are the, the masculine and the feminine. Uh, he bases them on archetypes. Yes. Right. So, um, you know, when we a lot of times when I talk about like image uh, uh, energies or the divine masculine or feminine, that can turn a lot of people off. I think, well, this is just a lot of woo woo stuff and, you know, not really based in, in science or not really based in the real world where I am. And so I like to point out that it is based in psychology. Right. And there is a lot about that, that uh, modern psychology, especially with the Jungian psychologist have have identified. So that's really what I talk about. It's these qualities that are how we move through the world and don't really necessarily have anything to do with our gender or our sex, right? It's really around people that identify as predominantly either masculine or feminine. You know, you can mm -hmm. think of this as the yin and the yang, right? Where these balance each other out that we have both masculine and feminine within us and throughout our day, we're tapping into one or other of those. And yet there is one predominantly that we identify with. Now, traditionally, people that are biologically male or, or, or usually gender as a, as a man typically will identify as a masculine. But that's not always the case, right? And so when I talk about masculine, that doesn't necessarily man, mean a biological male or uh, a cisgendered man. It's just someone who identifies primarily with those qualities uh, of things like consciousness and form and structure and strength and leadership and uh, and these types of things that are the masculine qualities that I'm talking about. And so you're the ideal person to unpack this for us a little bit, and particularly for people listening to this, uh, who this will be relevant to. In this season of society, where the the identification, the way people identify with the world and their identity of gender, if you like, and and male or female or of, of neither gender, how does how does that affect how people identify? We're, we're limited in our traditional sense, in our traditional understanding of masculinity and femininity, and that has been blown apart in the last few years with debate about sexuality, sexual orientation, sexual identity, gender identity, does that make it very difficult for people to find and navigate what aspect of their masculinity or femininity they're, they're tapping into at different scenarios during the day? You know, I completely agree with you. There are times when I am I am feminine in my approach to something, whether that be my compassion, my empathy, my love, the way I interact with my daughter, the way I interact with my wife, as and when situations need me to morph and flex. But for people that are discovering themselves in parenthood and in, in a new leadership role, in a new relationship, has this ex cultural explosion made it difficult to navigate that conscious 
tapping into of our various skills? That's an interesting question. It's kind of gotten both more difficult to navigate that, but it's also gotten a little bit easier to navigate that. Um, And the reason is we tend to confuse when we have these discussions about genders and sex and the different gender identities and those types of things, a lot of these things get really, it gets very confusing and, and conflating where, you know, you have people that say, well, there's only two genders. It's male and female because a female, you know, can have uh, have babies and anybody that tries to identify as a female, they can't have babies, right? But when you think about the way that I defined it, where there is the biological thing, right? That is a female that could have children, whereas gender is something how I identify with the world and I could identify as a woman. I'm not biologically female and I can't have babies, but I can identify as a woman because that is how I relate to the world and how I move through the world. When you start to think about that, and then you start to think about this third aspect that is the psychological qualities that it becomes in some ways a little bit easier to think about because we can separate the three of those, right? Mm. Now, it can be a little bit more confusing as well because I could think I'm biologically male, I identify as a woman, and uh, predominantly I also identify with uh, a masculine psychological qualities, right? Yeah. And all three of those are valid, right? All three of those can be valid. And I can cultivate the, each of those to live a full and healthy life in a way that is aligned with my true authentic self. Mm. So it really comes down to us as a society becoming more educated around what we mean by each of those and what each of those means to us individually and how we sort of take that out into our daily lives. You know, you hear a lot of people that say that men need to get more in touch with their their feminine side, which it's something I kind of cringe with because I think that that one, I think people that think they know what they're talking about when they say that they're kind of talking about, well, we need to go back to that, that stage two in the seventies and sixties when we were, you know, the nice guy and we were just all feely and, 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 uh, and, and not really in touch with those masculine qualities that help us move through the world that, that form and structure and that leadership that can help balance out the the feminine energies. Right? This is really um, important, isn't it? Because I think this is comes to the nub yeah. of one of people's uh, misguided conceptions. And I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's why I love the work you do. It, it, no two days and no two chap you meet will be the same because there is this yeah. misconception that to get in touch with your feminine side, to, to be, to be, you know, the whole, masculine man you have to have a feminine dimension otherwise you can't be masculine and that is not based on whether you as a bloke decide to pick up the bloody hoover or decide to cook a a pie or decide to hang the washing out that's got absolutely nothing to do with it has it uh unless you ask the people on twitter that's correct (laughs) there's a lot of discussion of twitter that you know if you I got into an art, not an argument, but I realized it was an argument I wasn't going to win where somebody was saying, somebody made the statement of, um, if you're a man and you let your wife out in public in yoga pants, you're not a man. And I kind of thought it was maybe tongue in cheek at first, which is why I engaged with it. And then I quickly realized that it was very serious. And Mm -hmm. that's the way that this guy believed. And of course, he called me the, the male feminist and 
all these weird things. So I quickly backed out of that conversation because there was no no winning of that. But yeah. yeah, there's a lot of weird conversations that happen around that that people misunderstand or misinterpret or, or or for whatever reason want to define it something different than really what it is. One of the things that you you talk about is um a reclaiming. You help guys reclaim their masculinity, which would infer yeah. that we have found ourselves apart from it. I wouldn't say lost it, but we might have struggled to identify it. We might struggle to know what part that plays in our lives as a whole human being. Give us some basic areas where we can try and identify our masculinity. You know, if you were to say to me, Nicholas, you need to, you know, you need to look at A, B, and C to 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 find some strand of masculinity in your life. You know, I'm one of these people that hate football. I hate any sort of sport. I can't bear you know, men's nights out in pubs, you know, all this sort of stuff that you're encouraged to do, you know, go on a dad's dinner and all this sort of crap. I can't bear it, you know, but that doesn't mean that I'm not masculine. You know, I'm not a right. rugby player, Or, but where do, where do guide us and give us some basics and where we will find our masculinity? Sure. That's, and that's a great question and a great point. Right. And this is where we talk about, you know, the, the, the difference between things like you know, gender and and those types of things and and these psychological qualities, right? You don't have to like sport. You don't have to like uh, these quote unquote manly things of going outdoors and um, feats of strength and, and and things like that. Masculinity is really around the two biggest qualities are form and structure being one and uh, consciousness being the other, right? So when we bring that into whatever relationships that we're in or or in the world. Uh, because generally, you know, when we talk about these energies and we talk about the nature of masculine and feminine, the world itself is feminine. And so we as men, when we, when we, whether it's our relationship with our beloved in creating this form and structure and consciousness to allow that feminine partner to be the full expression of herself, it's the same thing with how we show up in the world, right? We, we can bring that form and structure to consciousness to the world to allow it to be its full feminine expression. So when I talk, talk about elevating mindset, confidence, and relationships, those are really the three key areas that when we talk about bringing our masculinity, that's where it can start. Confidence confidence really is trusting yourself. That's all it really is, right? The more you trust yourself in certain situations, in whatever situation, or the more you trust yourself to handle anything, Mm. The more confidence you're going to have and the more that people trust you, the more confidence they're going to have. So working that muscle of being able to do things where you stay in integrity, you do what you say you're going to do, you follow through, you don't view things as failures, but rather learning events. And you take those learnings from them and you grow. Those are all ways that you can help to, to strengthen that trust within yourself and thereby bringing your own confidence that also exudes that confidence where your your partner, for example, will feel trust in you and feel that confidence and feel that she can relax because she knows that you've got things covered and that she can do what it is that she needs to do in terms of her full feminine expression. Yeah. Um, I think that's a big, that's a key one, right? And then um, with the relationships, we've kind of been talking about that, right? Bringing our masculine leadership about and that masculine leadership is not domineering and it's not I'm the man and this is the way that things go, but it's rather 
it's making being decisive. It's it's deciding and the direction of things that are that are going to go uh, because the feminine generally doesn't want to fall into that energy. It's not that she won't stay into decisions or how things go. And sometimes she's going to have very strong opinions about that. But generally, it's not within her sort of default energy to say, this is what we're going to eat tonight, or this is what we're going to do, or, you know, uh, this is how we're going to spend our time on vacation or, or, or things like that. She just wants to be and she wants to flow generally. Yeah. Um, and so by bringing that leadership in a way that's very compassionate, very empathetic, that is not domineering, but allows us, again, to, to help bring that confidence and, and allow others, whether it's everyone else out in the world, whether it's coworkers or whether it's our, our romantic relationship, that they have that confidence in us that we've got it covered. We can make those decisions. We can make things happen. And I'm also taking into account what you need, what, what you want, and, and how you want things to be done. So I think those are really the two key areas, our confidence and, and the way that we deal in our relationships that we can bring a lot of those really strong masculine qualities and strengthen our, what we, what I'm calling and what I'm talking about is our masculinity. And when I talk about reclaiming it, I go back to when I talked about it being part of like Jungian psychology, right? It's those archetypes that are within us and a part of our authentic self already over the years as our growing up, we've put these things on us that have blocked what happens on the outside with what that authentic person, that authentic self is on the inside. And so when we talk about reclaiming, it's not discovering, it's not creating this confidence or this masculinity, it's it's removing those obstacles that happen between what's on the outside and what's going on the inside so that there's more of a congruence with that authentic self. And that's that's really what I talk about when I talk about reclaiming, because it's already there. We yeah. just need to get back in touch, connect to it and unleash it. It's fascinating, fascinating. And give us a little insight into, you know, if if I think of my father's generation, my father is now 86 and probably has come to terms, you know, he was very much the era of hunter-gatherer. You know, my I'm the youngest of six children. My mother was a stay-at-home mum with six kids and my father, captain in the Merchant Navy, off to work he went. That was his career, provided never wanted for anything. Dad was dad, you know, this rock the size of the cliffs of Dover. Uh, and he's watched, obviously, society change through the 50s, 60s, 70s. And then I look at my nine-year-old daughter, uh, born 2014, in Generation A, as she is now. She's got this perception she can do anything, she can be anything. She's in a great school where they instill confidence and ability. They're two extremes, you know, 1937 and 2014 of what society is like. Does mm -hmm. this issue of men maintaining the equilibrium of masculinity and femininity to make themselves a complete whole, that runs through all of those generations, my father's, my own, and my daughter's, what will be the catalyst to almost make your role unnecessary in in the world of humans you know what will change that that people will turn that you will look at men and go you know what, we are now beginning to create a complete package of person 
you know, where where females and femininity is held to a standard where it can thrive and flourish. Masculinity is held in a, a an authentic and integrity-based confidence. You know, what will be the catalyst where you can say that or your son can say that? That is a that's a great question. I you know, part of what my my reason for doing this is is wanting to contribute to society. This is this is part of my bigger mission and what I want to do in terms of leaving a legacy and contribute to to the world. And so as part of developing my intention statement around my life and around that, there's a big part of it that I want to pass this along to other men. When you say about making my role um, you know, unnecessary is that I want to help other men to do this. I want to create a revolution of very loving, strong, conscious, masculine men that are out there, the people that identify with the masculine that are able to hold both thoughts in the head of, of the strength and living as a masculine in the my full expression. And that that does not take away from the feminine living in her full expression in her third stage. Mm-hmm. And that if we are creating a world in where I'm doing, I do that by lifting up the, my other brothers that are out there and lifting up the, the feminine that I come in contact with. And I lift mm-hmm. all of that up that we, you know, the, we are the rising tide that, that raises all of the ships. I think that's, that's where we need to get to. And that's what I, that's what I really, um, that's my ideal, really. Um, I liken it to, there was a, a mindfulness coach that I that I trained with for a little while, and he had this great saying: "You've heard, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day; teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime." Well, he added, "Teach a man to teach other men to fish, and we'll solve world hunger." Yeah. So, I feel like if I can teach people not only to to connect with their true masculinity in a way that brings uh, others up and serves others, then I can also help people to teach other men and spread that revolution and, and, and bring all of the, everyone up. You know, I love the South African concept of Ubuntu, where the, the, you know, general precept of it is that I am because you are, or because we are right. And that I, I can only fully realize my life by helping everyone else to fully realize their life. And I think if we think of that in that way, and we think of uh, of helping everybody to fully live their life in the true way that they want to do in their full expression, that's how we get to making my job unnecessary. And I could just continue to, to live my life as fully as I, as I want to. That's fantastic. Amazing answer. Thank you very much. And And on the basis of that, then, you know, we've looked at, what we're looking for, what we're looking towards in order to maintain that, that that healthy equilibrium. What are the obstacles or what do you think, what do you think are the obstacles that men are facing at the moment that are counterproductive to maintaining, you know, that true authenticity, that true integrity and that consciousness that we need to maintain? Give us some everyday examples that are going to be detrimental to me in keeping that equilibrium that make me dominating that make me you know over butchly masculine in the traditional horrible roles that people perceive us to be sure there and there's a lot of things that are out there there's um you know the gender stereotyping to be 
the primary one, right? So you mentioned it yourself, you know, somebody who doesn't like sport and isn't into rugby and isn't into the outdoors, does that mean that they're less masculine, right? Having those types of thoughts and those types of stigmas that are out there is very harmful because it, you know, it says, okay, well, if I don't like these things and I'm okay with the fact that I don't like these things, well, then where do I fit it? What am I? Mm. Right. And so getting, getting away from that and really thinking about these psychological qualities of, of the masculine that aren't outward facing activities and they're not these gender stereotypes that limit us, mm. but more of just how can I fully live the way that I want to live? I don't necessarily like the term toxic masculinity. And here's why, because I believe that you're either a toxic person or you're a masculine person. You can't be both. There is no such thing as toxic masculinity. Yeah. I like yeah. to call it problematic masculinity for, for two reasons. For that reason to be one. And the second reason is people that that have those qualities. I don't think it's a good, I don't think it's healthy to call them toxic. Um, you know, I think your your behaviors are problematic, but it doesn't mean that you yourself are toxic. But I think that that concept, you know, when people talk about toxic masculinity or what I call problematic masculinity, the profession, the, 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 the pressure to conform to these traditional things where, you know, I have to be the I'm the man and this is the way things go. And I have to be the disciplinarian and I have to, um, you know, be very dominant and very domineering. Um, I think those are problematic and those are are those are very harmful to men as well, uh, I believe. What else? Mediocrity to be one, uh, a huge one uh, that people like you were talking about, they don't strive to be great. And and I love what you were talking about in your previous episode where you said all of these experiences you have were just things you put into your life's toolbox. Mm-hmm. And these are things that you just you learn from. And then that's the way that you deal with the world in a, in a better way. And, I, and I, I love that. And and I think more of us really need to adopt that type of mentality that, you know, it, we're not. Things don't happen to us. We're not victims. Things happen for us. And if we see that things happen for us, we can know that, you know, I am different from my from my circumstances. I am different from the things that are happening in front of me. I'm different, actually, from the actions that I take, because sometimes those may be unconscious. Mm -hmm. But really, where I am at the heart of it is who I truly am. And if I can then begin to make choices about how I feel and how I act based on that, then that becomes just a more healthy expression of who I truly am. One of the things that, um, that I, you know, as you were listening to last week's podcast and people who listen to my podcast frequently will probably get bored of me blethering on about the mediocrity that we often sitting, but it's a real passion of mine. I love it. One of the things that really attracted me to want to talk to you is that you, you use the word passion a lot. One of the things I love to do is connect. I work with leaders, business leaders generally, but I, I class anybody as a, as a potential leader. The oxymorons of life is you see the passion that people have for such niche things, really sharp and, you know, passion for climate uh, change, a passion for sports, a passion for uh, abuse against women, a passion for cars, whatever it may be, that passion is almost unfathomable. And yet their whole existence, their entire picture, their entire being is so lacking in passion. How is it? I mean, you meet a lot of people in your work, you'll meet a lot of men whose mindset, middle-aged mindset, is 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 not quite stagnant, but it's quite bland, I would say. It is that vicious circle of making the payments, being the provider, the hunter-gatherer, being reliable for the wife, trying to be a fun dad to young kids, you know, all these 
And then equally trying to get a nice car, trying to build the extension, trying to get a holiday abroad. And this relentless mediocrity absorbs us. And every now and again, there's a flash of passion. Inspire us, Brian, to, to try and find passion in the norm of everyday shit that we encounter. Mm, that's a great question. You know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about to the first question you asked me of like, how did this evolve and, and these types of things? And I immediately think about the 1980s where people began to, there were, they began to paint so much opportunity for us to be successful and to make a living. And we began to, that, that's where workaholics really started, right? Mm. Where, or where we began to understand what workaholism was, right? Where people would, um, you know, people would just marry themselves to their jobs. And and people like us who are of Generation X, we became the latchkey kids, right? Yeah. We had two working parents where we often raised ourselves or were, you know, not necessarily, we didn't come home from school at the same time that our parents came home from work, right? We were by ourselves a lot. And so that started to lead to a lot of what you're talking about here, where people have a passion for one particular thing, other things in their life suffer. I can I can be very successful at my job and be you know, move up corporate and become the best, you know, corporate leader that I, that I, that I possibly could be, yet I've neglected my, my family. And I'm, I'm not a leader in my family. I'm not a leader in my, my parenting or my, my husbandry. So how can that be fully rounded and, and finding what is important to you and what matters, which is a lot of what we start to seek in, in midlife. We say, it really matters. You know, I've, I've married myself to my job. I've done all this work that doesn't seem to matter. What is it that truly matters for me? And, and for me, in a lot of ways, it's, it's defining what does it mean to be wealthy? You know, if I'm trying to work towards being wealthy, what does that mean? Right? I can always earn more money. And what is that money going to buy me? And, and to me, uh, you know, being wealthy is being one, completely in control of my calendar. Where I'm, I define exactly how I spend every single minute of my day. And having a regulated nervous, mm. those two things are what I strive for in my wealth. And, you know, I'm a coach, but I don't do that full time. I, I still have a nine to five job. I work in tech. So, you know, here in an, an hour or so, I'm going to start my my day job. Um, yeah. So I still understand what it means to, you know, so to, to chase that dollar and to uh, to live and to work like that. But I but I've really come to see it's really about that balance of knowing how can I fully show up at work and fully bring my authentic self and fulfill myself in my work and have enough energy to be able to do that in when I come home and I interact with my family, my wife, my stepchildren, um, how can I fully show up for them and fully uh, express myself and help them to fully express themselves. And I find the fulfillment of that and being able to do that in a balanced way is 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 really how I myself have gotten away from that. I've I've able to been elevated my passion across all of my different um, areas of my life. No, it's brilliant. Thank you very much for that. And one of the things that I'm also very passionate about is is this understanding that in leadership comes servanthood, servant heartedness. And yeah. that's often a, a hard thing for people to reconcile, particularly for men to reconcile. Half of the problem with 
the middle-aged modern man is this disconnect between his performance of life and his inner well-being. You know, the recognition of who he is, what drives him, what makes him tick, and this ability to be a servant leader. You know, and at work, you know, I work with people in business. I always say that doesn't mean that we're helping people stack the bloody chairs at the end of the day. That's not servanthood. You know, that's just mucking in and being one of the one of the team. How do we encourage men who are balancing that sort of tenderness of being a husband, a partner, a father, a son, a brother, with the the drive and productivity of a high-powered job that they might have to lead in? How do they make servanthood authentically work in that? There's two things that come to mind for me, and I've talked about one of them already. This 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 concept of Ubuntu, you know, where by bringing everybody else up and by helping everybody else to realize their their purpose and their their dreams, and in 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 leadership in in the workplace, it's helping them to excel in their jobs. I also bring myself up. I also think about this uh, Tibetan word that is uh, it's called ziji. And that a lot of times there's not really an English translation for it directly. So a lot of times it gets it's translated as sort of a deep inner confidence, but it's even a lot more than that. It's really about me fully understanding who I am in the reflection of the people that are around me. Mm. And by my ability to impact their lives ultimately gives me my confidence and my um, my drive and my passion in, in the world. You know, one of the, there's a very misquoted uh, quote to Gandhi that he, you know, it, be the change you want to see in the world. Um, he actually never said that, you know, or he, he was never quoted as saying that. His family has said that that is something that he would say, but it's, it was actually a, an American writer who, who actually said that. And What's interesting is where that got confused is one of the quotes that, that Gandhi really said about that was, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's more of a man is the reflection of the people that are around him. Mm-hmm. And so that, that for me to want to change the world, I need to change who I am because I reflect that. Yeah. And so when we think about this servitude, uh, it's it's really helping me to reflect the who I truly want to be, helping other people to be that and reflecting that into the world and thereby bringing my empathetic and compassionate leadership to that is how I can do that in a very positive and loving way. Passion is a key word, I think, that's coming out. And I think that if we can... If we can be passionate, of course, the original meaning of the word passion involved pain, not exactly excitement. So if we can absorb, you know, if we become driven to avoid that pain and, and change that into excitement, then I think that's a great thing. For people listening to this, uh, Brian, who are on their way to work, sat on the train or lying in bed, listening to a late night podcast, thinking, I'm in exactly that position. I have this, I have this fog about the essence of who I am to so many different people in my life. You know, I'm struggling to be what I know I should be in my relationship, in my parenting, in my leadership at work, in my social circle, which I'm feeling a lot of pressure from. What should be the first thing that these guys do? I think the first thing is is to take stock of your values. You know, what is it that you value and that you want out of your life and, and, and out of the world? 
the second thing would be to think about what limiting beliefs you have with that. What are, what are you, what is preventing you from living those values or where do you find you're out of integrity with those values in your, your life? Mm. That's the place to start. Because I think ultimately what it comes down to is, is having that integrity of the values that we hold dear and being able to live those on a, on a daily basis. And when we find ourselves not in step or not the, uh, the friction and the, and the pain and the uncomfortableness of feeling like life is just a little off and life is just not quite what we want it to be. Yeah. And I think people mix those values, you know, to identify your values is really important because people often mix that with social pressure. I feel pressured to believe this because society says I should. Right. And that, and that right. isn't actually a value, is it? Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, one of my biggest values is authenticity. Mm. And so what authenticity means to me, I think at its base, it's going to mean the same to everybody, right? It's, it's authentically being who you are at your core, but how that manifests and, and how we act on that is going to be a, a little bit different. But, you know, what we need to realize is that the world needs us all to be authentic. We need, he needs the individualism that we bring to the world because that makes the world a better place and it makes all of us better, uh, yeah. including each one of us that, that is bringing that authenticity. So, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's really, you know, you hear a lot of the, the concept in, in Buddhism about the beginner's mind mm. uh, in Taoism. Buddhism is a, is a very key concept, which is to really think about things as, as the mind of a child, as a, as a child, you see child, they, they kind of move through the world really really easily because they've not yet been told otherwise. They're figuring things out for themselves and they have their own perspective and, and uniqueness that they're bringing to the world. Mm. And over time, as I mentioned, we we collect these things that prevent us from from living our true authentic lives. And so it's, I like to say it's it's really authenticity is really going back to the person who you truly are before the world told you who you were. You know, I always think a lot of people would believe behind every good man is a is a good woman, but behind every good man is a circle of of a board of directors. Behind every you know successful person, they have what we call friends, a board of directors, counsel, encouragement, inspiration. You know, mm -hmm. for people that are that are watching or living beside somebody who is completely adrift of you know, a central compass of values or somebody who is sort of bobbing along on the ocean, not really tapping into their full potential, their full wholesome masculinity, what should they do to, to help steer that person? What should they be encouraging? What should they be bringing to the table to, to sort of build that start of a journey for that person they see flailing? That's a great question i would say i would say it's two things uh, I mean, number one would be in in back into this theme of of leadership through servitude you know how can you best serve this person how can you help that person to to be more authentic how can you help them to better realize their uh their full expression of their masculinity and you know maybe it's Maybe it's throughout all aspects of their life, or maybe there's one particular aspect of their mm. of their life. Maybe, maybe they're a coworker, and you see them, you know, not speaking up in meetings or not stepping, 
uh, stepping up and and claiming the ideas that they have or or, or something of that nature, right? Mm-hmm. And so finding a way to, to to lovingly and compassionately encourage them to do that, uh, I think is 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 very helpful uh, as well. At the same time, I think we also need to be careful about people that steal our energy, right? Those people that maybe are angry about the fact that they're not in their full authentic expression and maybe they're don't really have intentions of changing and and are going to maybe react very negatively to your encouragement or your reaching out to them. I think you also have to part of anyone really, but especially for the masses is setting boundaries mm-hmm. and understanding what those healthy boundaries are. And so it's, you know, the, all the work that we do on ourselves and, and bringing our th- authentic self, we, we also need to protect that and not let anybody steal that away from us. So I think, I think we need to reach out to whomever we can and, and, and try to raise everybody else up around us. And yet we also need to be careful um, for those people who may try to steal that energy from us or try to bring us down or try to add more layers that are between our external persona and our internal authentic self. That's amazing. Amazing message. Thank you very much. It's such a, I could go on for hours. It's such an unfathomable, interesting subject. And one that I, I really do believe will, will decide certain aspects of society. You know, the way in which we as men uh, interact with each other, ourselves and the world that, you know, our immediate sphere will impact the way generation A and after will will form society we always say that there will never never be another world war we're saying now that we will never box people without a you know in a two-phase gender identity we'll never allow the climate to be completely crushed and and eventually will come we will never know the limit to the impact that masculinity and femininity have on the possibilities of our society will we that's right. Yeah, I, I think that's very well said. Thank you very much for spending your very early morning before you start your nine to five job joining us on the Life I Lead podcast. Brian, if people want to continue this conversation with you, can I put your, do you want a, a LinkedIn link or a Facebook link? Or can I put something where people might want to come and, and get some advice and some steering from you? How can they contact you? Sure. Uh, I'm in all those places. I have a website, which is called quietconfidence.net. And from there, you can find where I put a lot of content. I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on Twitter, interestingly. I'm on Instagram. You know, So just all of those places are places that you can, you can find me. Great. So I'll put those details out when this um, podcast goes out. And I'd encourage anybody to, to really start digging deep and looking at the opportunities and trying to avoid the, the obstacles. So Brian, thank you. We really appreciate you joining us. It's an amazing subject and keep doing what you're doing because as a, as a middle-aged chap, I know the importance of being authentic and integrous to who you are. So thank you very much for joining us today. No, thank you, Nicholas. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Brian. I mean, what an amazing conversation. What an amazing and insightful reflection on not just what it means to be masculine, but the whole realm of who and what am I? And can I base that in authentic integrity? It's so insightful and so inspiring to know that, you know what, there are challenges just in the identity of who I am uh, as a not just as a, as a man, but as a husband, a father, uh, a friend, a partner, discover who you are before 
society and culture tell you who you are. That's my takeaway. You know, and when you discovered who you are based your values on who you are, and then it gives you a freedom of belief and a freedom of self-confidence, an incredible subject, one that is close to my heart and one that I think will define generations to come. Next week, um, we will have another guest, uh, I think another American, strangely enough. I seem to be doing some, a lot of over-the-pond relations. I should be a UN envoy. Um, but remember, if you're in leadership, please be kind, be empathetic, be compassionate. And if you're in followership, have some initiative and integrity. Also, just to let you know that coming out in the next few days will be a course which is inspired by the the weight of feedback from clients, from students I work with, from business leaders. And it's called Below the Tip of the Iceberg. And it's a course that you can do in a couple of hours. It's a very short, self-led course, which I'm releasing for people to start this journey covering issues like who am I, what am I, what is my leadership, what are my values based on, covering five points that are going to help you navigate the unseen areas of your leadership. It's called Below the Tip of the Iceberg. It's a course which will reveal the submerged risks of poor leadership and five proven methods to navigate them in order to succeed. So it's about dealing with you know you struggling to delegate work as a leader. Are you being micromanaged or are you telling yourself you're having to micromanage your team? Is your team resistant to change? Is your boss resistant to change? You know, does your boss or do you or do your team have a fixed mindset restricting your leadership ability? Are you living in an environment where there's a fear of failure causing stagnation? Are the politics, you use that word all the time, are there politics in your office or your team causing a lack of clarity? Are you struggling to find initiative anywhere in where you're living or working? Well, then you need to get on this course. It's called Below the Tip of the Iceberg. It'll go out um, for publication for people to sign up to in the next few days. So I really want you to look out for it. If you are listening to this and you want to get hold of it, get onto the website, uh, www.eagletransformationalcoaching.com. Get in contact with me directly at transform at eaglecoach.business, or you can phone me. My contact details are on the website. But I'd urge you, if you're reflecting on uh, Brian's conversation or Don Gleason's conversation or thinking about from good to great or thinking about the chapter of this podcast on authenticity, or you've read the book, The Life I Lead, The Practical Guide to Establishing a Sound Leadership Through a Good Lifestyle, then think about getting this course. It will be the start of a journey for you. But enough of that. It will come out to be advertised soon. I wish you a great week. And I hope that uh, what we're doing on this podcast is inspiring you to tap into your authentic self. And so until next week, dear friends, have a great time. Stay hopeful, stay positive and be kind. Take care. Well, from all of us at the Life Ali podcast, thanks for listening. I really hope that something has resonated with you today. I hope this podcast is the start for you to know that you are capable of being a leader, inspiring others and being fully present and alive in situations that need you to step up and be a leader. So as I say to everyone on my coaching courses and one-to-one coaching sessions, tell yourself aloud every day, I am enough, I am influential. I am a leader. And join us here at The Life I Lead again, same time, same place next week. And remember the words of Eisenhower, you don't lead by hitting people over the head. 
That's assault, not leadership.